0: Feel free to write down any notes that, uh, any light the Lord may show on these uh, portions of Scripture. It says in verse 1, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, But a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. Uh, What a thought here in verses 1 through 2 about riches. You know, the thing that we covet, I mean we human beings in general, covet the most, brings the most heartache uh, to people, the most trials and tribulations it It says here in verses 1 and 2, verse 1, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. What he's about ready to describe here in verse 2 is not something that's happens sporadically, but something that's very, very common. And it's that when somebody gets riches and gets everything their heart desires, they never have the power to enjoy it. He calls it vanity and an evil disease. It's a social disease. You know, almost everything evil in society, according to the Scriptures, stems back to money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6.10 And here's a poor fellow here. Uh, he's been blessed, he's been given riches, wealth, and honor. He he doesn't want anything for his soul of all that he desires, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof. If you've ever noticed people who end up with a lot of money, there's a lot of things that that just seem to tie up their investments. Uh, often their investments are tied up, or everything they own is tied up in equity and... and uh, it just seems like these people tend to end up into lawsuits and litigation and then appeals that go on for years and years and years. I remember this one, I, I, I call him a poor soul. He certainly had more than I'll ever have in my life. And In fact, he had a barn one time. He took me in, and his barn was filled with, to me, they looked like brand-new Model A's and Model T's from the early 1900s. He had just a barn full of classic cars, and uh, all kinds of riches and everything. And he used to come to the church when we were way out in Farnham, and I used to witness to him. He came quite a few times. I don't know if he ever got saved. I hope he's in heaven that he got saved. I used to go over to his house and try and witness to him and everything. And and uh, he, he lived like a pauper, and I said, man, why don't, you, why don't you sell one of your cars, get a better place to live? And so and he told me the story about his legal matters with his wife, and then how they've been ongoing for 20 years, and that he had, uh, you know, they had uh, joint accounts on everything, 50-50, and that he he told me I couldn't touch my cars, I'm not even supposed to open up the barn, he says, I can't even get $5 out of one of my bank accounts if I need it. And, uh, I mean, it was just such an ugly situation, an ugly divorce that he uh, he was going through, and... And uh, they they seized all of his assets, and uh, just a a terrible thing. This happens to a lot of people. Uh, A lot of people who are rich, you know, or get heritages or uh, inheritances, I should say. Man, those those things, you you don't want to go there. Uh, You'd be thankful uh, for what you have. And... uh, it said in the previous chapter that when people's riches increase, in verse 11 of chapter 5, they are increased that eat them. Uh, all of a sudden, they, when somebody's riches are increased, all of a sudden they get all kinds of friends, pseudo-friends that want to eat them, and uh, people who are gold diggers who are after their money, and, and if they got deep pockets, they can become the... Target of some ambulance chasers, uh, and it, it, it's sad. It's sad to see some of the things they've gone through and garnished wages. Uh, but this uh, this happens. Uh, a stranger eateth them. Verse two says, uh, "Boy, talk about a stranger eating things." Just if you ever get up into the upper bracket of uh, finances. I I guess the ceiling is around 30% now, but the government takes a lot of your money away from you. The more you make. Strangers eat your money up. There was a time when the ceiling was around 70% in our country rate for the the rich, and that's, like I said last time, that is so immoral. It's wrong to punish their achievement, their accomplishment. But can you imagine those days? Uh, Can you imagine if you... uh, Earned a million dollars in those days, and you were left with 300000 after the government took their own. Strangers eat it. This is a vanity, and it is an evil disease. In verses 3 through 6, we got a strange uh, comparison between a bad father and a stillborn child. And Ecclesiastes is tough. I'm not kidding. It's a tough book to understand. We've said that all along, and uh, we're just plodding our way through it. But there are a lot of good nuggets uh, sometimes you have to sift through a lot of things to find a good nugget. but uh, there's things in here for us, and God has written some very deep things in the Bible uh, so that we'll dig into it and study it deeply and Ecclesiastes is one of those things. I was talking to my daughter today on the way home from church and. Uh, about Ecclesiastes, <laughs> and she said, Dad, if it wasn't for the last two verses, I'd shoot myself. <laughs> it seems the whole thing comes together in the last two verses, and I I like the way she said that, because I, I struggled through this myself, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. See, a lot of Ecclesiastes is like the book of Job. Uh, in the book of Job, you have a lot of men giving their own opinions about things, and you're never quite sure, is this a man's opinion, or is it God speaking through him? And you you're trying to sift through that book saying, is this God's word? Is this absolute truth or is this this man's opinion that he's throwing in the face of Job? It's kind of hard to understand. Well, Ecclesiastes is the same way as we described when we began to study this book. This is a book of a a frustrated man, a man who knows he's just wasted the last 15 years of his life, a man who had been given unparalleled wisdom by God so that he was the wisest man that ever walked on earth, and then he threw it all out. Uh, and In his case, he became very, very worldly, and the catalyst that drew him into the world, and far away from God was women. He loved many outlandish women, which caused his heart to turn away from God, and Solomon ended up, a, a wretch in the world, with all of this wisdom God gave him, he turned his back on all of it, and then he tried to find some kind of fulfillment in the world, and, and the book of Ecclesiastes is just simply the record of all the different things he tried to find satisfaction, and that's why you keep hearing this, him say over and over again, all his vanity and vexation of spirit, he said, everything I tried just ended up being emptiness. And as far as we know, in the last two years of his reign, he turned his heart back to God, got right with God about two years before he died. And during that two years, the Holy Spirit led him to write the book of Ecclesiastes. So as you're write, reading through it, there's times when you come up to verses and you're, you're like, you have to say, is this just Solomon venting some of his frustrations at the oppressions that he saw on earth? And... Or is this the Holy Spirit giving us a truth? So you come to some of these texts, and chapter 6 is a tough one. But let's read verses 3 through 6, and let's try to see a comparison between a bad father and a stillborn child. It says, If a man beget a hundred children and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial. I say that an untimely birth is better than he that is a stillborn child. And then the stillborn child is described in verses 4 and 5. For he that is the stillborn child cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. This hath more rest than the father who's had a hundred kids but can't find one of them, that'll bury him. Yea, though he, the father, live a thousand years twice told, though he lives two thousand years, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place. There's a little insight there about what happens to stillborn children. I believe they go to be with the Lord. But anyways, we got this father, and the reason I call him a bad father is because, well, I've never even heard of a father like this. This is uh, uh, just uh, Solomon telling a parable. If a man beget a hundred children, I suppose there have been men like that. And he lives a good long life. He lives many years so that the days of his year be many, and his soul be not filled with good. In other words, he, he has, in all those years and with all those children, He never cared for his soul. He never cared for the spiritual part of his being, and his soul be not filled with good. And also that he have no burial. uh, Apparently he has lived a a selfish life, maybe a self-centered life, and and with a hundred kids, now one of them is there to give him a burial. I say that an untimely birth is better than he. Uh, this is just Solomon showing us, I think, a picture in the Bible of how what a horrible thing it is to be a lousy father. And I think if we can learn anything from these few verses here, it's that men we need to we need to focus on the things that are eternal. We need to focus on our children, loving our children. Uh, we're told over in Proverbs 11:29, "He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind." And there are men that trouble their own house and they inherit the wind. I can take you to men's homes tonight who at once had wonderful wives, wonderful children, but they troubled their houses. They were men who were perhaps uh, had weaknesses towards alcohol, towards drugs, towards gambling, or, or they could not control their spirit, rule their spirit, and they were, all, they were always filled with anger and rage and cruelty and wrath. And the kids got out of those homes as fast as they could and never went back. And the wife left, never went back to them, didn't want to live under those circumstances. And those men uh, just just sit in sometimes efficiency apartments or houses that I know and just rot to death. I think a good philosophy to live by is live in such a way that you'll have a large funeral someday. We ought to just go along touching people's lives. I've had to do a lot of funerals in my life. I did one recently, uh, last week, and I've done, done about 200 funerals uh, in my, our, our ministry here, and I, I'm always amazed, and I listen distinctly for this. I'm always amazed how when people eulogize the deceased, they always remember or bring up some little small thing the person did for them, uh, and that they were a caring person. They never really bring up their accomplishments or anything or how famous they were or anything, but, but you know, this person one time helped me out. This person once did this for me or that for me or so on and so forth. Those are the things that are remembered. Uh, some insignificant father and his whole family's weeping for him because he just loved his wife and loved his kids. And the kids knew it. And uh, these are the things that are important in life, uh, that we care about others and live uh, to be a blessing to the next person you can meet. And we really ought to live in such a way that we'll have a big funeral. This guy just lived for himself. The Bible says here basically it's better it's better for someone to be stillborn than to have all these this life, all these years, all these children, and to ruin their lives. And so, men, let's let's be a blessing uh, to our wives and to our children, uh, to our church, to our fellow man. Uh, find ways that you can care. Uh, for somebody. And just, that's what makes your life rich. Verse number seven says, All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. Uh, well, This is one of those verses that I guess the way you, it depends on the way you want to look at it uh, and interpret it. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. That That could be an indicator that no matter how hard you work, you can never be satisfied in this life. Or it could mean the opposite. Labor satisfies, but we've got to keep laboring to keep satisfying because the appetite is not filled. Here's another hard verse, verse 8. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Verse 9 He goes on to say, this is also vanity and vexation of spirit. Uh, What hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? So uh, whether a guy is wise or a fool or poor, uh, they all have to work. They all have to labor if they want to get their next mouthful of food. Verses 7 and 8. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. But in the midst of this, we have one of those nuggets I was telling you about in verse 9. And here's one of the great truths of life. It says in verse 9, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. That's a tremendous truth right there. Better. The word better appears 23 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a book that tells us about the better life. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. Let me paraphrase that. Better is reality than fantasy. Better is reality, what you can see, than fantasy, the desire of the eyes. Now, we live in fantasy land. That's what America has become. America is fantasy land. It's an imaginary world. Uh, it's a world that's uh, full of television and movies and Internet and, and uh, uh, cartoons and Hollywood and Disneyland and Disney World. And it, it's just, uh, just, there's constant music. There's, there's distractions from sunup till sundown that are uh, prevalent and available to you so that you never have to face reality. You know, there's, I think there's so many people who just drive down the street living in fantasy that they don't even see God's green earth. They haven't seen how beautiful the trees are this year or how blue the sky is today. They're so possessed with their own lives. And they, they miss what God has made for them. They miss what God has given them to enjoy. Better is the sight of the eyes. And the wandering of the desire, there's so much wandering of the desire nowadays. Uh, our desires, our imaginations, just wandering. I wonder if it would be better with this person. I wonder if it would be better with this person. I wonder if I could have this person. Boy, what if I just had this or own this or this? Uh, I, just, I just know that I'd be happy if I just had these things. And, and people just live in fantasy land nowadays and not in reality. Better is the sight of the eyes. The, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes what a better life is, and Solomon, is, in the book, he is, he is uh, cataloging for us all the things he got that his heart desired. Uh, and he said it all was vanity and vexation of spirit. Better is the sight of the eyes. We ought to just open our eyes up both physically and spiritually, see what God has given us and thank him for it. It's better just to say, Lord, this is the wife you've given me. Thank you for her. What a blessing. This is the house that you've given me to live in. It's not Emsdale. It's not Amherst. But it's the house God gave me. And open your eyes up and say, God gave this to me. These are the children God gave me. I think there's, there's fathers and mothers today that I think are blind to the fact that they even have children. They're like a nuisance to them. They're like, um, you know, a bother to them. Uh, or maybe a, a part-time hobby that they have. But they ought to just open their eyes and say, these are the children God has given me. And and they're not the best children in the world. They're not perfect, but these are the kids God has given me. Thank the Lord for these children God has given me. And appreciate them and love them while you have them. Care about them. You know, this is the car God has given me. I know it's full of rust and falling apart, but it's the car God has given me. You know, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire? Uh, we're going to see in a moment here a verse that says that, that if you were able to increase all of your vanity, everything you ever desired, you're still not going to be happy. Contentment is not getting what you want. Contentment is wanting what you have. And that's one of the secrets in life. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If a person can be godly, it says in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, with contentment it's great gain, or if I could paraphrase that, godliness with satisfaction for what God has given you makes you rich. The person who appreciates the little God has given them is richer than the millionaire that doesn't appreciate anything he has but wants more. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. We need to leave the imaginary world behind. The Scripture says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I believe imaginations and fantasy only breed frustration. And frustration breeds anger. And anger breeds bitterness. A lot of people are frustrated today because their life is not coming anywhere close to matching their fantasies of what they think their life should be like. And we are feeding our fantasies with a lot of the television today and movies and, and um, catalogs and circulars that come in the newspaper. And we start looking through and say, boy, I, I, how did I ever live with this? How did I ever live with this? Boy, if I could just get this, I know it would make me happy. If I could just get this, I know it would make me happy. And page after page we go and through these catalogs, and, and we just keep convincing ourselves, boy, if I could just get to this certain pay scale, and if I could just possess this, 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 I know it would make me happy. And we keep feeding our frustrations, and frustration is often what makes a person angry. They don't even know it. But they're angry over the fact that their life is not coming close to what they're fantasizing. And then anger leads to bitterness. They end up saying somehow it's God's fault or it's my wife's fault or something that I can't have the life I dream of. Well, quit dreaming. Quit having these imaginations, fancies. Open your eyes. Uh, get in your rust bucket and drive through Eden and say, wow, look at these trees. Look at the sky. Look at the moon. Look at the stars. And it's all free. And God made it all for me. I'm rich. Verse 10. That which hath been is named already, and it is known that it is man, neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. I read this to my wife on the way over. And I said, now, honey, i got to stand up and tell everybody what this means here. You got any ideas? <laughs> Let me know what this means. So. She just laughed. That didn't help. <laughs> when I think of what it says here, which it says that which hath been named already, and it is known that it is man, it made me think. I don't even know if I'm close on this, but it made me think of a verse in Psalm, Psalm 49:11. It says, "Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever, and their dwelling places to all generations." They call their lands after their own names, and uh, there's a a lot of that going on. Just about everything's been named, all the countries, all the cities, all the towns, all the streets, and a lot of people like to call things after their own names. And it says, neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. That's just a fact of life. There's some people who are stronger than us. There's people who, what we call, own the microphones. Uh, by that we mean there's people in politics we disagree with completely, but they own the microphones right now. They own the cameras, and they're able to get in front of them every time they want to speak and get their message out. While well, we can't get our message out. Uh, they just happen to be mightier than us right now, and there's not much you can do with them. You can't contend with them. Neither may you contend with him that is mightier than he. Verse 11, Seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man? the better. This is that verse that I was telling you about. There are many things that increase vanity. We have more things in America now to increase vanity than any humans have ever had in history. But the question is, what is man the better? Are we happier? Are we happier than the people were in the 1800s, 1900s? Um, are we happier than the people who were in the 1600s? Because we have all of these things—microwaves and computers and iPods and cars and vans and SUVs and and uh, plasma TVs and cell phones and internet access and chat rooms and and email—and and you know, it just seems to me that all of these things have just increased vanity. Verse 11. That word vanity means emptiness. It seems like it's given us a lot of psycho baggage that we have to carry with us. Um, I, uh, I I kind of live in a different world. As, as, as many of you know that uh, from from a lot of people, because I don't have cable television or direct TV. I don't have the internet. You know, I don't have a cell phone. I, I've never been on uh, a chat room, or I don't. I wouldn't know how to get email if my life depended on it. Uh, I'd still have a rotary phone if, uh, if you know, I, I had to. I just, uh, I just, I just don't, I just don't have any of these things. I don't have a PDA or an iPod, but I have a Bible, and uh, it, it satisfies me. It satisfies my soul. It makes me happy. Uh, I just get into it every day, and God speaks to me. I <laughs> say, "This is great." You know, i got I got people all the time telling me, well, you've got to get a computer, you've got to get this. You, don't you realize how much more you could accomplish and what you, you, you'd have, Pastor Cole, if you had the Internet, you'd have the world at your fingertips. That's the last thing I want to be around. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I don't want to bring the world into my house. I'm not saying it's wrong to have it. I, You know, I, if you do have it, you better dead sure have a good uh, uh, filter on it and, and uh, uh, let somebody choose a password for you that you don't even know it. But the accumulation of more and more and more things makes us vanity, it increases vanity, this verse says, it increases Emptiness. And you just, you just see people and just the electronic gadgets and the technology they keep coming up with and coming up with, and, and I'm told that this year's technology will be next year's garbage. It'll be so outdated. Well, I'm glad I'm not in that rat race. You know, just give me a Bible and a dictionary, maybe a Strong's Concordance and the Holy Spirit, and I'm having a time of my life. Pen and some paper like the right things and I'm having the time and, and I know some of you are like that too it's called the simple life the simple life it was the uh, uh, it was the life that the apostle Paul promulgated that that uh, we ought to all live and uh, if I can find this real quick here first or second Timothy uh, I'm sorry second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12 says for our rejoicing is this The testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God we have had our conversation in the world. The word conversation means our lifestyle in the world has been with simplicity and sincerity. I don't want a cell phone, man. I I want to get away from the phone I got. And uh, if I did have a shotgun, I think the first thing I'd shoot is my phone. I just, you know, I just like to be simple. My wife and I went on our 25th uh, wedding anniversary last year to Missouri, up on Table Rock Lake, had a nice little, just built on the second floor right over the lake. It was really beautiful. No television, no phone. No nothing. And man, that was just so peaceful. Uh, You know, we just go for walks, sit together with each other quietly, read the Bible. That sounds boring to some people, but they don't know my God. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In thy presence there is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's where you're going to find fullness and joy is in the presence of God, not by increasing vanity. What's man the bad what's man the better today? We still got people cracking up today. We still got people that can't make it without drugs or alcohol or, or uppers or downers or, or whatever. We've got all kinds of psychological problems people are having. Yet more things are at their fingerprints or finger than ever before. Well, let's finish up verse twelve, for who knoweth? What is good for man in this life all the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow? For who can tell a man that shall be after him under the sun? Who knoweth what is good for man in this life all the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow? (laughs) What a verse. Who knows what's good for man? Uh, You know... People have tried to push things on me. Boy, you've got to have this, you've got to have this. You got to have this you do not realize your life would be enriched if you had this or had this or this. Only the Lord knows what's good for me. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. But it says, all the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow. There's many, many pictures in the Bible of how brief. This last verse talks about the brevity of our lives. Our lives are just like a shadow. First Chronicles 29.15 says, Our days on the earth are as a shadow. Job 14.2 says, He fleeth also as a shadow. Job 7.6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Remember the old weavers that the, the Native Americans used to use, and they'd throw the things back and forth in there, and they'd be, those shuttles would be moving back and forth. That's the brevity of life. Job 9.25, now my days are swifter than a post. What this literally means is a postman. My days are swifter than a post. Some of you have observed the postman who comes by your house every day. He's in and out. And that's a picture of life, just hearing God. Psalm 39.5, Behold, thou hast made my days as in handbreadth, the width of the hand. Psalm 89.47, Remember how short my time is. Psalms 90 and verse 9, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. James 4.14, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Isaiah 39, 12, Mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. Shepherd comes in, sets up his tent, takes it down the next day and goes somewhere else with his sheep. That's a picture of life. Job 8 and verse 9, For we are but of yesterday and know nothing because our days upon earth are as a shadow. Again, Psalm 112, verse 11, My days are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like grass. All those verses show the brevity of life, and what, what he's getting at here at the end of the chapter is: don't spend those days in vanity. Don't spend those days trying to pursue the next thing you think will satisfy you. Boy, if I could just if I could just if I could just get this car, man, I would be so cool. Uh, and I would be so satisfied if I could drive around town in this car. Now the Lord says. That's just going to increase vanity. It's not going to make you any better than anyone else. and They're not going to be looking at you anyways. They're still looking at themselves and hoping people will look at them. The next thing I buy will make me happy. That's one of the great lies of the devil. Don't fall for it. Better is the sight of the eyes and the wandering of the desire. Just look around at what God's given you. Open your eyes, especially towards the living, your wife, your children, your husband, your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Amen? Your relatives, your family. That's what life's about, people. God is interested in people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our...